May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. It seems like over the last several weeks, as we have been preaching the stories of our spiritual ancestors through Genesis and Exodus, Robbie and Lauren and I keep saying, in the part that we skipped last week, <laughs> I know that the lectionary committee, the committee that has created our revised common lectionary that we follow each week for our Eucharist services, I know, or I'm sure, I guess, that they have good and holy reasons for the parts that we must leave out. But as we've been leaning into these stories recently, I'm finding the absence, the holes in these stories increasingly aggravating. <laughs> and so once again, here is a summary of what we missed <laughs> in the nine overlooked chapters between last week and this week. Last week, Robbie pointed us to the story of Moses's in-betweenness and how God's promise in the burning bush was presence in all things at all times. After that encounter with God on Mount Horeb, Moses packs up his family and goes back to Egypt, straight to Pharaoh, and demands in his famous line, let my people go. Pharaoh declines and instead doubles down on the torturous work given to the enslaved Hebrew people. Not only do they have to do the work, they have to collect the materials for the work they have to do. It, he has given them an impossible task and their misery only increases. God responds to Pharaoh's demands by sending the legendary plagues of Egypt the Nile River turns to blood. Frogs multiply, falling from the sky. There are lice. There are gnats. The livestock all get terrible diseases. Skin boils. Destructive hail and fire rain down. Locusts. Darkness. And then finally, the announcement of the tenth and most horrific plague, the demise of every firstborn, of every family, human or animal. Now we are caught up to this morning's story. And here it is, sandwiched right in between the graphic horror of the plagues and next week's reading, which we will hear, which is a Charlton Heston-worthy parting of the Red Sea. Today we hear the institution of the Passover meal which is neither graphic nor dramatic, frankly. But it is deeply important. And, my friends, it is not just important because it helps us better understand the traditions of our Jewish brothers and sisters and friends and colleagues. It's important because of what it reminds us about the nature of God and what God wants for us. The instructions for the Passover meal in Exodus that we read today are the same instructions that inform Jewish people today as they observe their annual Passover, their Passover Seder every spring. 
The modern Passover Seder plate includes, among many other things, roasted lamb shank bone to represent the lamb roasted and shared, bitter herbs for the bitterness of slavery, salt water for the tears of the abused Israelites. But it also includes in the instructions for the first Passover meal given by God to Moses, provisions for those whose households are small or too poor to combine with others to afford the full meal asked or to use a lesser, more affordable animal if they can't afford a lamb. The instructions for this meal include everyone willing to participate and make sure that everyone has access. No one is excluded. Additionally, we hear that the ritual is not to be attended to alone in your own private backyard or with just a select few special people. It is for the whole community, everyone together, gathered. They are enslaved together, they prepare together, they eat together, they leave together, and they celebrate together. Passover is a community event, not an individual act of piety. Somehow, surrounded by plagues, on the brink of fleeing into the dark of night, they manage to prepare, cook, and eat a meal. It wasn't pretty, but they did it under the tending of a God who instructed them to create time and space to do so. Many of you heard me last year on Maundy Thursday that the trend of Christian satyrs needs to come to an end, not only because they are symbolically and historically inaccurate, but also because they're supersessionist and they co-opt the symbols of one tradition to uphold another tradition. In short, it's rude. We are not a rude people. So my friends, go get yourself invited to a real Jewish Passover Seder next year. Please do that. Learn about a culture that is different from yours. Gain an appreciation for your friends and coworkers that worship differently than we do. But please do not attempt to apply Christian principles to Jewish traditions. Don't do that. <laughs> Having said that, in light of today's reading, I do want to note that the eve of the Exodus is not the only time in our holy scripture where God instructs us in the midst of violence and crisis to come together around a meal that becomes a tradition passed down for generations. Does that sound familiar? Because every week, we remember the night when Jesus and his friends sat down at a table together with a political storm raging outside the doors and took regular old bread and some table wine and blessed it and passed it around in remembrance of the one who would die the next day. Passover is not Eucharist. The exodus of the enslaved Hebrews is not the crucifixion of Jesus. 
But in both cases, God intervenes and reminds us that in the midst of everything that is going on, when literal hell is bearing down upon us, gathering to sit next to each other, to give thanks, to nourish our bodies as well as our souls, this is the restorative work that we are made for. Now, that kind of restoration and that connection to God and one another can be true anytime we stop and sit and share a meal. I have had, and I know you have had, life-giving holy meals with those I love around kitchen tables and coffee tables and potluck tables. But my friends, here today on this Welcome Sunday, I am not going to let you off the hook that easy. Those are good and holy times and should continue. Yes, and as Christians, we do not celebrate an annual Passover or a weekly Seder as our Jewish friends do, but we do come around a table every single week to pause and to be restored and to be reconnected to that which is of ultimate and abiding worth in the event of the Holy Eucharist. And we repeat it week in and week out because we believe it has value for our lives, for helping us as individuals and as a community gain solace and strength, pardon and renewal. We need this meal and God knows and God instructs that we need each other at this meal. There are a thousand reasons why we might not make it on Sunday mornings, at least a thousand. From the challenge of putting tiny shoes on tiny feet in a timely fashion, to the challenge of getting creaky old bones out of bed early in the morning, to the very real social and emotional challenges that can make it hard to be in a crowd of people even when they know, even when we know they love us. But the enslaved Israelites cooked and shared their meat together over an open fire surrounded by captors and chaos. The disciples sat with Jesus while they were being hunted for sedition. I invite you, my friends, to consider whether or not you might try to set aside your own challenges or to face them head on and come join us at this table. If you are here once every two or three months, we are so glad to have you. Maybe you could try for once a month. If you come once a month regularly, maybe twice. If you are a regular attendee here every Sunday faithfully, how about bring a neighbor next week to join at this table for restoration and connection, to share the gospel, to share the bread and the wine. 
the challenges of our complex lives will still be there when we are finished here. But they might seem more surmountable when you are filled up with the love that this meal provides. Like the Israelites that gathered their robes and their friends and their families and ate the meal as instructed before fleeing. Like the disciples gathered around the table to hear the words that have become so holy to us before watching their friend and their Messiah tortured and crucified. Listen to our God. Listen to the one who bids us pause in the midst of all that busies us, all that distracts us, all that troubles us. Listen, stop, gather, pray, follow the actions of our ancestors around the table as we come together week in and week out. Amen.